and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody. It's an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics. Hey, we're reading all the Hellboy comics and some BPRD sometimes, and then other stuff, too. So <laughs> Sometimes a Witchfinder. Sometimes yeah. a Witchfinder. Witchfinder. Back witchfinder. to you, John. <laughs> and every week, we interact with all of our awesome listeners, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. Hey, sometimes... I'm going to tell you about it. So here's <laughs> one of those times where I will tell you. So we're going to read it. We're going to read something and we're going to talk about it. And then you're going to listen to us talking about it. And then you're going to talk to us about what we talked about. That's hey, damn guys. You sent us an email or something like that. And then we're going to talk about what you talked about when you were talking about us talking about stuff that we read. Then we're going to say, hey, this is what we're going to read next. And then you're going to say, okay, I'm going to read that. And that's a book club and also friendship. That whole thing all over again. Back to you, John. Oh, awesome. And sometimes awesome. we go and we try to raise money for a really good cause. Yeah, we try to do that too. So go check out our fundraiser and common giveaway, Benefiting Rain. As the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, Rain's work is recognized by the media, members of Congress, and independent watchdog groups as a responsible leader among nonprofit organizations. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, most nonprofit organizations are total horseshit because it's not really nonprofit. There are people just pocketing all that money and padding their already lots of humongous offshore bank accounts. But uh, John has done his best to do as much research as he possibly can. And so apparently they do more than just like, quote unquote, awareness campaigns. Of like course, they actually yeah. do stuff that directly impacts people you know, who are affected by this. We've done our best to make sure they're doing their best and that this money is actually going to something that is worth a damn. Yeah, and just for example, like um, when they have the 1-800 numbers, you know, they they run all that, yep. you know, for people to call in. Those hotlines if they have stuff. to, Yeah, the hotlines and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, people just keep coming at me wanting to donate prizes, including Lawrence Campbell. Lawrence Campbell, book club, book club member. Oh, it's official. Yeah. Lawrence Campbell, amazing artist on BPRD and Sledgehammer 44. He sent me his own Hey You Damn Guys this week. He said, hope you all are well. I noticed you're raising money for a good cause. And I was wondering if I could add a signed sketch copy of BPRD Hell on Earth Hardback Book 2. This book is out of print right now. Yeah. He says it's the one with the missing page, however, and not the newer copy. I hope that that's okay. I'd be happy to draw whatever the winner would like in the book. Wow. I will also include a BPRD cover sketchbook, too, when posted. Book club member, Lawrence Campbell. Ah, that's how I signed the email. That's yeah. nice. Awesome. Book club member, Lawrence Campbell. Yeah, and I have to shout out to Corey Green. You know, Corey is the one that donated the Bog Rouge now, and he also donated that Lawrence Campbell sketch. And so yeah. Lawrence asked if that sketch could go with it. He's like, whoever wins the sketch that Corey Green is offering, I would like these prizes to go along with it. So, so now, nice. now you can get a Lawrence Campbell prize package. You'll, yeah. get, you'll get the, the head sketch. You'll get the book two, which is out of print right now, plus your custom sketch design in there and then you'll also get the bprd covers to sketchbook from lawrence campbell which is totally awesome 
I mean, that is so amazing. Yeah, that's so really nice. Wow. I was not expecting that. He's going to actually like sketch something in that book. Too. Yeah, so whatever cool. the winner would like. So, so I think nice. that that's amazing. And you know, I was feeling really bummed out after a GoFundMe Nickstar campaign right, well, and everything. I mean, and so, but you know. I knew you would find a way to do the fundraiser anyway. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that this has come out even better now. Of course. We have a better yeah. pot of prizes. We've also got that sold out skeleton crew replica of the Bogrouche now. A Baltimore 2 omnibus set. The 25 Years of Covers hardback book, which is beautiful. Some early Hellboy issues signed by Mignola. And a slew of great Hellboy and related back issues for your collecting needs. So when you submit a donation, you know, what you're going to do is you're going to go to one of the links on our social media, you're going to donate to Rain, and then you're going to send me the receipt. And when I get your receipt, I'm going to message you back and say, hey, I got your receipt, your donation noted. So like, if you don't hear back from me, try to get at me another way, you know, make sure to send it to our hellboybookclub at gmail.com. And every dollar is one raffle ticket. Exactly. So if you donate $25, that's 25 raffle tickets. Uh, yeah. And as yeah. of this recording, we've almost got $500 in donations. That's amazing. Um, just uh-huh. in a couple of days. So that is so awesome. Yeah. I want to thank uh, Robert that's Wilson. Nice. Robert Wilson, book, book club, club member. member. Yeah. Club member. Robert Wilson um, donated some additional comics. So thanks, Robert Wilson, along with Chris Rawl, Corey Green, Wes Maddice, and Christopher Egan. So that is so awesome. The community has really come together to make this a really great thing, and I hope that we can raise a lot of money for this cause. Donations close on September 4th, 2020, and then on September 5th, I'll be announcing the winners. So like I said, right now, we've only got about $500 in donations. So that's, a, I mean, those are good odds, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to get in there. Throw some bucks in there, you know? Any little bit helps. You know, you can still help by spreading the word. Uh, things like that that's very important I also want to say just reiterate like I think it's really cool that everybody who's donated prizes to this has done so unsolicited yeah they've just sent you an email and said hey we want to donate a prize to this to get attention on this and I think that's amazing that people want to want to donate their stuff that was really cool so that was awesome and uh yeah And like I say every week, if you've been enjoying the show, leave us a review. You know, reviews are the best way to bring attention to the podcast with all the iTunes algorithms and all that kind of stuff. Get us pushed up into the recommended list. We got a review this week from Drew Campbell. Hi, Drew Campbell. Book club member. He said, top notch. If you ever wanted to get into the Hellboy universe but didn't know where to start, this podcast is for you. If you're a longtime fan and you love in-depth discussions and what the stories mean and how they are so expertly woven, this podcast is for you. If you enjoy any kind of lively, good-humored discussion by people with a deep appreciation for their subject matter, this podcast is for you. If you're alive, this podcast is for you. Come join the club. (laughs) We're all friends here. So thank you so much, Drew. That was so nice. That was very, very sweet. Oh, that was so nice. Thank you, Drew. Thank you so much. Yeah, and so just like Drew, um, leave us a review on uh, on the iTunes and stuff like that. That really helps us out. Or like Danielle said, share our posts on social media. Anything to bring attention to the show. All right, and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Get out, trade some floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along time. Get out. We had a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strackbine. Hey, Matt Strackbine. Hey, Matt. Where have you book, been? Book club member and also occasional host. Yeah. You know, we were joking around the other week where uh, I got that email from Podbean saying that we got 50,000 downloads and okay. you joked around that it was just Matt downloading the yeah, episodes just, over yeah. and over again. 
Matt said, I will be listening to this podcast over and over for years and years to come, but who wouldn't? The book club has become an incomparable Hellboy point of reference. Also, friendship. Aw, friendship. Aw. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks, miss Matt. You. Thanks, all. We do miss you. We had some feedback on the Crimson Lotus. That was a story that we just finished. Tom Barnett said... Tom Barnett. Tom Barnett, book club member. He said, glad to reread Crimson Lotus. Lee and Madsen's work is wonderful. And Mark Tweedell said... Hey, Mark Tweedell. Mark. Book club member. He said, I honestly feel the Crimson Lotus miniseries is setting up a whole world to play with. There are so many questions left left unanswered at the end. Like, for example... Okay, so I didn't think about this. The little girl at the beginning of the story is named Mirioku, but Ben Damio's grandmother, who was the Crimson Lotus, is called Yumiko. I did a Google uh, Translate, and Mirioku means charm, so maybe that's just a pet name given to the little girl, or maybe there's something more to it. I don't know. Perhaps someone who speaks both English and Japanese would pick up something else from all this. Yeah, so was that little girl, was she the Crimson Lotus, or was there something... That we're missing there, you know what I mean, in terms of the timeline. Or is there more than one Crimson Lotus? Yeah. She could have had a a pseudonym or a... You could change your name and stuff once you are outed as a fucking criminal. And then you're like, hey, maybe I should have a different name so they Mm. can't fucking track me down. I don't know. Maybe she changed her name publicly so nobody knew her secret name so nobody could get get control of her. Oh, right. Yeah, there you go. All of the way that uh, what's-his-name got in control of Hecate. Right, Igor Bromhead. We've learned in the universe that knowing your true name does something. So, yeah, that's a good point, Aubrey. And then uh, what's the... Do you talk... Like, what's the timeline on that? We don't know. Yeah. We really don't. There was 28 years, I think, between when we saw the little girl and then when we saw the Crimson Lotus sure. uh, in front of that house. He also said, I love the way Di was set up as his James Bond-esque character, but halfway through, he becomes a sidekick. <laughs> and Shang Li is revealed as the true lead. Honestly, reading this monthly yeah, was great. a different experience because we see the covers ahead of time. And we had a month to dwell on what we've read. So after we saw what happened to Balu, when the Crimson Lotus wanted information from him, remember they chopped off his head and she took his eyeball out. Issue three ends with the Crimson Lotus in Dai's room saying, and now you're going to tell me everything you know. And then Dai is not on the cover of issue five. We all thought that he wasn't going to survive issue four and Shingli would be on her own. Part of the fun of having entirely new characters was how unpredictable the book becomes. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because we read it all in one thing, but reading it month to month, you didn't really know what was going to happen oh yeah see i that's another thing that i i feel like i'm i can't connect with a lot of people on that because everyone else that you're talking to here they read this issue to issue it you know every month would be an issue so it took them however many months to complete a story that we just talk about in a couple hours right (laughs) so it's something that i'm reading this all at once and i'm like oh yeah that makes sense Right. But then if someone is reading this over the course of however many months, they're just like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> what's going to fucking happen? So I don't really have that same connection. I'm like, huh, I can read any of this anytime I want. So I, I feel like that's something I, I do not. Yeah. I can't really grasp that feeling of like, because you'll even say that to me sometimes. You're like, you have no fucking idea. I had to wait six months for the ending of this fucking series. Yeah. Well- and it's, it's, a, it's, a sensa- it's something that I don't, it's a, it's a feeling that I don't really I can't really connect yeah. with. You know, I, I, it always makes me think of 
when we saw the BPRD complex destroyed, and then we had a month to sit on that before we found out if Kate was really dead or not. Right. You know what I mean? And so that was kind of one of those things where it was just kind of like, oh, I guess we'll find out. Right. So yeah, that's um, I guess that's a that's it seems like that would be a very specific feeling. He also said, as for Die not acknowledging magic, I feel like that was his Britishness again. He's hardly going to dignify magic with acknowledgement. He'll just dismiss it out of hand. But I did like that part at the end where he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. I was so stubborn." I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily Britishness. I really feel like that was dismissiveness in general right because he is hmm how can i put this kind of a dick <laughs> uh just in general he's he's kind of a fucking he kept calling her woman and all this kind of stuff yeah he's a, well he's a little bit of a he's kind of an airhead i just want to say he's kind of you well, know ma- even the anyone... major Zhao was like oh yeah. he's never been able to climb the ranks because of his egotistical exactly yeah, and whatever, i think yeah. that's really has more to do with someone's personality than anything else i don't think it has anything to do with like being british in this scenario i really think it's more about the fact that this specific guy right is just kind of an airhead and he is if it's not him why should he care right so if there is a person that isn't him why should he give a damn? Sure. And yeah. so it's like, huh, a lady selling flowers. There's no way she's a super spy. Yeah, yeah. But she is, and it's kind of like, whoa. He spends like, I don't know how many issues <laughs> not being able to believe that in any way. Sure. So then she's like, oh, I can do magic. He's like, oh, sure. And internally, he's like, another fucking thing that makes her more impressive than me. Yeah. No, I have to just like yeah. gaslight the shit out of her until I win. So it's, I think it has more to do with probably just his personality being sure. dog shit, but also very entertaining. I have to admit. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You, yeah. you, I mean, you don't want every single character to be the same. That would be so boring. You want someone to be a goofball who barely gets by by the skin of his teeth. And, sure. You know, that's cool. I dig that. We had some feedback from Ross Radke. Hey, Ross Radke. Club member. He said, Tanchi Zanyich really knocked the covers for this series out of the park. Yeah. His graphic design sensibilities are incredible. Matt and I met Mindy Lee at Rose City Comic Con. She had very little idea how this connected to the Hellboy BPRD comics and was surprised that people recognized the Nomass monkeys. It's cool that they reached out to bring some fresh voices into the comic. I suspect that was Arcudi's influence, but I don't know. He is a big artist advocate. Hey, cool. Yeah, and speaking of Ross, don't forget that you can order a physical copy of his awesome comic Stomped via his Gumroad website. If you check him out on social media, I already ordered a few copies because I want to give them to my local comic book store. And as of today, he posted he has about a dozen or so left, so you need to get on that. You can even order a signed copy that comes with a monster head sketch for 10 bucks plus shipping. That's a pretty sweet deal. Really if you sweet ask deal, because yeah. it's a super cool sketch. Yeah, and if you missed yeah. out on the Kickstarter, this is your chance to get one of those physical copies. And hey, there's a cameo from your favorite podcasting nerds in there. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are in there. <laughs> and like we did a whole episode. So this is the first thing you're listening to. We actually talked about his comic uh, and a different thing. You can go check that out. Yeah, and, you can uh, check out our bonus it's episode. It's good. It's good. I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. <laughs> you don't have to guess what I'm thinking. So if I say something is good, I actually mean that shit. This is not an advertisement. Right, we yeah. actually <laughs> like this guy and we like his art. At Seeker99 on Instagram said, I always thought the Nomass monkeys came from the strange place with the hybrid animals. You remember the hybrid animals and all that? The pelican monkey and stuff like that? How could I forget Kevin Marbles? Yeah. 
<laughs> what was his real name? What was it? I, don't even I will remember. never remember it. Uh, it. It only popped up like one time yeah. at the end of that comic. Oh, yeah. God, why can't I remember it now? This is going to drive me insane. I keep wanting to say Lester, but that wasn't it, no, right? No, that's not. I can't no. be it. Jesse. Jesse. That was his name. Yeah, Jesse Kevin, Marbles. Kevin Jesse, quote unquote, Marbles. That's his nickname is Jesse. Drew Campbell said. Drew Campbell. Book club member. Yeah. Pronunciation corner feedback. Oh, nice. I wouldn't call myself an authority, but the pronunciation for feng shui that i've always heard is feng shui okay yeah and we did i think we did talk about that and we actually i think i cut it out of the episode but you actually looked it up no yeah i I tried to look it up and 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 it was funny because we were trying to determine what it was right and then when we looked it up it said feng shui or feng shui right and And we were like god damn it which one (laughs) i think we would actually need somebody to explain a the context of this phrase and what it actually means because i feel like we probably don't even realize what it actually means within the cultural context that it was you know that it has was derived and then b you know pronunciation even if someone says it it doesn't even mean that we're still pronouncing it right because if it's not your first language, it's going to take you a while to get used to the actual pronunciation. Like we can say feng shui all we want, but yeah. that's that's not going to be how you say it. Right. Like, so it's there's probably oh. a lot of little intricacies and little, um, you know, nuances. Sub- subtleties and nuances. Yeah, that that we're not going to be able to do unless we actually studied how to speak this language with a native speaker. So right. I do apologize for the fact that we are from Houston, fucking Texas. I know that it sounds terrible coming from us, but. <laughs> We are trying our best. We Googled it, and we don't know what else to do at that point. So, Oh, y'all know about that feng shui? Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. So if you are actually someone who can speak the language that this phrase is derived from, that's not a sentence, but if you know how to pronounce that, let us know, and we will try our best. I don't know. I I think feng shui is the correct one. I mean, it's sure. just, I think we're overthinking it a little bit. Too yeah, much. and Ryan Yule said... Hey, it's Ryan Yule. Book club member. He said that, uh, remember he said he was a little confused by this series, and he said, all my Crimson Lotus questions have been answered, thanks to you damn guys and your book club podcast. Hashtag friendship. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. It's so great to hear from you. I'm glad we could help you out there, because when I got to the ending of that and I saw Haircut Guy at the end, I was kind of like, wait a minute, what happened? I had to kind of like go back and kind of look at the pages again so yeah Haircut. you know this might be a little off topic but there was an interesting thing that went on in mike mignola's art on <laughs> facebook yesterday you know mike mignola's art on oh, facebook shit. it's a great place on the internet i love going there and i've talked about this on the podcast before it was a huge inspiration for me to do this show and uh, a lot of the book club members and people that i've developed friendships with i've i've met on that and so it's a good little community it, it really is or so we thought oh my goodness so uh, I'll talk about this briefly, but Tugpat de Sequoia, he just wanted to show pictures of the characters punching Nazis, which I thought was, you know, just fun. You know, like, just, yeah. What are your favorite uh, pa- panels of like whatever was it like Hellboys punching Nazis? Yeah, What's your favorite there's moments? been so many of them. So you know? many, and so people were sharing them, and then it like devolved into this. It like... didn't devolve. <laughs> there was like there were a couple of people who were defending nazis they were so offended by which, the post yeah which by the way there's no defense for that behavior at all these are books the hellboy and bprd that are primarily based 
around punching Nazis. <laughs> I would say that like most of it is about punching Nazis. Yeah, really. Like most of it. The first story arc is, is all founded punching Nazis. on <laughs> beating the shit out of Nazis. And I mean, every artist that's contributed to any of this has at least at one point in time like depicted has has drawn art of somebody whipping Nazi ass, right? So when he posted that, it's like, yeah, that's absolutely on brand yeah, for yeah. this. It's completely more than appropriate. Hell yeah, let's do this. And so I go in there uh, because John's like, hey, there's this cool thing I'm gonna put. I obviously John posted the thing where lobsters beating the shit out of Nazis with a luggage rack, yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta post this entire page actually because it's super good. But then there's a couple of people who are like upset about it and then so tech pat this is like oh no I, I just wanted to it's like no no no. first of all you don't have to defend yourself <laughs> against anyone who is pro-nazi they've already lost they already have the that you're already morally superior to them in every way you will never have to defend yourself against these people because they don't have the correct position they gotta go so i kind of went in there like lee i left a super long ass ridiculous comment like just ranting about why the fuck are these people allowed to be here even for one second and the mods or admins or whatever they're like hey yeah no actually yes they're gone and so every there were a lot of people complaining it wasn't just me there were a whole bunch of people yeah, complaining yeah. about it like hey get these motherfuckers out of here we don't want them here what the fuck and they were kicked out which is great and the comments were deleted which is excellent i think that was uh jc washburn yeah jc washburn big shout out to jc washburn uh, yeah my favorite part was when he said trolls be gone and there was just Absolutely. like banned 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 Band. deleted deleted yeah so, anyway. so that's fantastic and we <laughs> i just want to say really appreciate the admins and mods in there jc washburn and mark tweedell and whoever else had a something to do with that yeah and yeah. uh so jerry turnbull, is jerry a turnbull there, absolutely yeah. jerry turnbull and so yeah it's just one of those things where like you you expect to be on a place that's called mike mignola's art and say hey all the art where you're punching nazis post that and everyone's like yeah good this is appropriate mike mignola even posted mike one. mignola posted, yeah. of course because he he has drawn i don't know thousands of these images <laughs> of someone beating nazi ass so it's one of these things where it's like you really don't expect any objections and when it happens but in a way, it's good that that happened because now we were able to get rid of those motherfuckers. That, that's the way I see it. I see it. Well, and these people kind of expose themselves absolutely. and now we can weed these get, people out. Weed them out and get rid of them. So with that, we are about to, the very first image that we see when we're uh, <laughs> about to get into our next book here is, hey, we're fighting some Nazis. How, yeah. how appropriate. There you go. So I actually missed all of that yesterday because <laughs> I had a really long day and I was just like, you know what? I'm just putting the phone to the side. I'm not going to do anything. Which is good to do. It's, it's good to do that. It's great to do that. Yes. I normally I, don't I, get involved, down, but when it's something I, like that, I'm just like, you well, know what? Well, well, I got to make time for this. Uh, so I just wanted to sit down and watch some Star Trek, and then I fell asleep watching Star Trek, and for some reason, I popped up in the middle of the night, woke up, and I was just like, I look at my phone to see what time it is, and I was like, oh, it's five in the morning. So I was just like, <laughs> I look at it, and I read the I read the comment from Mark, and he's like, I can't believe we had to deal with Nazis and hell. And I know, hell. yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck was going on? Yeah. What the hell <laughs> so what I, I happened? Go in, I, I go and I find the thread. And this is after everybody been banned, after everybody right. been deleted. And I'm just like reading through this whole thing. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. I can't believe this. I know. Yeah. So shout out to the mods for taking care of that. and For sure. And all that. And um, man, it took, me, it took me like an hour to read through the whole thing. And I, was, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I really need to go back to sleep because I have to get up in the work in the morning. Sure. Yeah. 
And you know what? I'm glad that I didn't have to read it because you know what? Part of me is all like, I wonder what they said, but then another no. part of me is, yeah. who fucking cares? Exactly. <laughs> no one should have to see that for sure. And like yeah. they, they should not be given the, even the slightest hint that their ideas have any legitimacy whatsoever. So yeah, the less people that read that shit, the better. But great yeah. art in the in the Fantastic thread. Art. Yeah, great. So if you go to the thread, you won't have to see any of that shit. And bonus, you'll get to see lots of super cool art of Nazis getting the shit beat out of them. So yeah. that's great. And including like even stuff not Hellboy related. I think somebody yeah. posted Indiana Jones punching a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a cool one where um the Joker is even oh, like right. against Nazis. The Joker's like, I'm He's I may like, be what? a homicidal yeah. maniac, but I'm an American homicidal maniac right. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's like that scene from the Rocketeer. <laughs> there was a Rocketeer in there right. in there too, drawn by Mignola, where the Rocketeer is punching somebody in a Nazi uh-huh. robot suit. There was a lot of good Mignola related BPRD Hellboy stuff, but yeah, there was a lot of good like uh, you know, other whatever. It just became basically like just your favorite images of Nazis getting the shit kicked out of them just in general kind right, of a thing, yeah. which was great. All right. And with all that being said, we're going to move on to our book club episode for the week. This week, we're talking about Rasputin, the voice of the dragon. This is a five issue miniseries published from November, 2017 to March, 2018. Today, we're going to be discussing issues one and two. It was written by Mignola and Chris Robertson. So we've been getting more and more of Chris Robertson lately. Art by Christopher Mitten. So we got his awesome art on Rise of the Black Flame. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. Yeah. By Clem Robbins. Yeah, you know, Dave Stewart just won an Eisner recently again. No. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dave Stewart won an Eisner? You don't say. They call that award the Dave Stewart Award. I think so, yeah, at this point. It's well deserved. I'm not that. Please don't take my. Yeah. You know, I obviously think he absolutely deserves every bit of any award he gets. He's amazing, and his work is fantastic. I yeah, just, like, no, he's even, won so many Eisners. Even on the non Hellboy stuff, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The Silver Surfer Black by Trad Moore and Dave Stewart. Yeah. is amazing. And we've got some amazing covers on this series by Mike Huddleston, who we also got on Hellboy and the BPRD Ghost Moon. He did the covers there. And the issue one had a variant cover by Mignola. And so that's the one that we see here in the trade paperback version. Um, Really cool design by Mignola here. And issue two had a variant by Gregory Manchess. Gregory Manchess is an American illustrator from Kentucky. His illustrations have appeared in magazines, digital murals, illustrated movie posters, advertising campaigns, and book covers. What's interesting is there's actually two versions of this cover here. Um, One of them is for... The trade paperback paperback cover. Yeah. And so I think this one was created just for the trade paperback cover. And then the one that's kind of like painted on the inside, I think that's the variant cover to issue one. It seems it seems like one of them, like you said, yeah, is was done like in the the traditional way that he usually does his the his whole like graphic novel. And then the other one is just kind of kept in as a sketch and Dave Stewart, I guess, colored it like it's a watercolor, which is pretty cool. Really nice. Neat. Well, I would assume Mignola colored it because he's been doing a lot of watercolors lately. Oh, maybe he did, yeah. He may have done it as like an ink wash and then Dave Stewart colored the ink wash. Yeah, oh, that could be okay. it too. Yeah. So, yeah. But it, it also doesn't it doesn't have the snake that's on the on the trade cover. Right, right. right. Oh yeah, you're right. And it also has the addition of like the you know, the swastika and all that stuff. I guess to provide more like story context or sure. something. So that's interesting. And as we scroll in we see that awesome Mike Huddleston cover as well. As we turn the page. There you go. No, no uh, so, and then, like you said, there's another cover, and this is who? 
Mike Huddleston. Mike Huddleston. Wow, it's super detailed. Yeah, he did those Ghost Moon covers, which were beautiful. Yeah, super good. We open the story in Postignano. How do you say this? I have no idea. Postignano, Italy. Postignano. Italy. There you go. Postignano. I don't know. In July 1937, so I thought this was interesting, the Castello de Postignano is a medieval village founded between the 9th and 10th century AD on the slopes of a hill connecting Spoleto, Forlino, Norcia, and Assisi in Italy. And it looks just like this. Um, So that's that Chris Robertson uh, historical fiction. You know, Chris Robertson does a lot of research and one of my favorite things about the books is they incorporate the historical fiction. And so this village is still there. Oh, wow. It looks exactly like this. And you can stay there. Um, I was huh. looking at it online and you can actually rent a, a suite there and, and go stay there. It looks really beautiful. So Maybe I, you can. Now I'm just. <laughs> and it's interesting that, um, you know, I hate to compare anyone's work to anyone else's work. But I, I, I know that Mignola really likes these opening mood shots of just like crunched up houses all huddled together and stuff so it's interesting that they actually took like a real place for reference that looks like that that looks like that that's yeah it's really interesting how that's kind of his whole deal and they were like ah i will also do that and we get this incredible scene as we go inside this church and we see rasputin there and he's in front of like all these candles they've got the project ragnarok banner there and he's speaking to the banner, or he's speaking to the darkness, he says, Will you not speak to me once more? Send me some sign. And then from behind him comes this weaselly little Nazi guy. And he's like, it is you. This is incredible. And Rasputin's like, ah, I'm not in the mood to lecture today. And he's like, oh, no, you mistake me. I've heard all about your teachings about the coming of Ragnarok, about the new age of the serpent. But I must know, how did you come to be here? The world has believed you dead for 20 years. What happened that night in St. Petersburg? And so I did want to kind of look this up. I don't know if we've talked about the real Rasputin's death. I thought this was really interesting. So and this is from Wikipedia. Have we? we didn't? I, I, don't, I don't remember. It seems amazing that I, we wouldn't I, have. I, I don't think we I don't know if we talked about it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, if, if we have, it was a long time ago. I don't know if we talked about it in as much detail. Oh, no, I can't remember either. I'm just like, I feel like we probably maybe we did. We, I mean, we, I definitely yeah, we should do it again. Let's do it again. Why not? And so Rasputin was murdered in December 1916 at the home of Felix Yosipov. Yosipov claimed that he invited Rasputin to his home shortly after midnight and ushered him into the basement. Yosipov offered Rasputin tea and cakes which had been laced with cyanide. Rasputin initially refused the cakes, but then he began to eat them. And to Yosipov's surprise, he did not appear to be affected by the poison. This is the real Rasputin. Yeah, no, this is for this is for reals. Then he asked for some wine, and so Yosipov gave him the wine, which had also been poisoned. And Rasputin drank three glasses of that and still showed no sign of distress. At 2.30 a.m., Yosipov excused himself to go upstairs where his fellow conspirators were waiting, and they shot Rasputin in the chest. Jeez. So then they they went off, and then later they came back to the basement to ensure that Rasputin was dead, and suddenly Rasputin leapt up and, and attacked Yosipov, and he freed himself with some effort and fled upstairs. Rasputin followed them, and he made it to the palace courtyard before being shot again by another conspirator Jeez. and collapsing into a snowbank. Then they wrapped his body in cloth and drove it to the Petrovsky Bridge and dropped it into the Neva River. 
So that's the actual. Just to like make sure, yeah. That's the actual myth of him. So I thought that was incredible. I don't know if we talked about that. Well, there was also another time where like someone, this woman stabbed him in the stomach and like that it was like people thought that that was kind of like a killing blow like they weren't yeah. sure if he was going to survive or not and so like he recovered from it and then um i can't remember there's but there was like there's a bunch of different like accounts of how it's really interesting yeah they couldn't fucking kill this guy or whatever so that is that's really weird and so rasputin in the comic here he says poison shot beaten and then drowned and so that kind of goes along with that's the, the whole thing yeah, yeah that's what you just were talking about that's interesting he says a lesser man would have died, but I was meant for greater things. As I drifted off in the frozen waters of the Neva, I heard a voice calling to me. The dragon spoke to me. I'm sorry, Aubrey, we're going to say something. I'm just laughing at Rasputin because I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, because he was like, you know, he was like the uh, advisor to the Romanovs, the Czar thing, and it, and his whole death kind of sparked this whole mythology around, right? How, bigger than he really was and he's and he hasn't just appeared in like hellboy as myth and all that and i love the way that they use him in hellboy and all that wrong but it's just like uh, rasputin really was just kind of some guy <laughs> who was like advisor to the thing i think i think that people were saying that there was a uh he was actually sleeping with one of the roman officers or something oh, like wow. that um uh, they killed him and they just the reason they they it took so many you know uh poisoning and stabbing or shooting and all that is because they just weren't doing it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's been a lot of lore that's cropped up about this guy and he's become kind yeah. of like a larger than life like a myth almost right but yeah. then you're so so but you're saying that uh from from the stuff that you've did you like watch a thing or about him or like read some stuff about him or something that that it was just like kind they just both. they just would they weren't like doing it right they weren't good at assassinating people <laughs> that's basically that's I mean, hilarious that's basically I mean, and, 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 you know, if I may be, fu- I'm fuzzy on the details because, like, I watched, like, a documentary on him, like, long before we started the podcast. Right, right. Stuff. But, I mean, I just say, you know, I, I find the rest, I find Rasputin to be an interesting figure in history. Oh, yeah, it, absolutely. I think mostly because of the way he's been mythologized. Uh, but he's really just some Yahoo. Right. <laughs> For and, sure. And, and that was one of the, that was why they conspired to kill him is because, he was advisor to the Romanovs, and they thought that he was just like telling them all this crazy stuff. And they were like, "We got to get rid of this guy. He's like ruining everything." Well, he was so. like gaining power and like followers and all this stuff because right. all this, even while he was alive, there was a lot of lore and mythology that was kind of creeping up around mm. him. That he was kind of getting like a little cult, kind of a cult following. Or something. I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of like Aubrey. Like I've seen and heard and read and watched various things over the years that I can't really remember. Like the specific name of whatever it was that I was watching, but like I I've heard stuff that this this or that happened and whatever and so I guess they they were just trying to kill him just because they were like, We can't have this weirdo hanging yeah. around. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it is interesting that like some people are like, Oh, he was a powerful, mysterious sorcerer and some right. people are like, nah man, he just like they just didn't like him, but they were bad at killing people, I guess. So that's <laughs> that's interesting. I, I do find the fictional Rasputin way more interesting than the real Rasputin. <laughs> But I'm just thinking, like, you know, in, like, a thousand years, he's he's going to be, like, up there with, like, Merlin or some shit like sure. that. Right, yeah. Or, like, Thor or whatever. It's going to be, like, a whole thing. Yeah. And in the story, <laughs> the story version, you know, Rasputin says as he was floating in the Neva, he saw a vision of the world transformed by fire. And I love this, how Christopher Mitten works in the serpent, you know, the Agra had the dragon. So we see it in his eyes, and then we see, like... um, 
this mist is like kind of creating almost a version of it. Yeah. We see like a monk writing in this thing and you see the monks drawing the yeah. seven headed dragon. And then we see like someone carving into one of those tablets. This makes me think of the gold tablets and they're, t- they're carving in that version of the, I fucking love shit like this. Where the, it's like all throughout yeah, the history yeah. of humanity, various cultures have all, Oh, it's spoken to them and all this. This is fucking great. Yeah. So this one that the person's carving, this Audra Jihad, that's the amulet version. Remember the guy in the island? Nice, nice. He had that little amulet. You can also get that as a skeleton crew replica. And that's that version of the Audra Jihad there. I just love how Midden works in the Audra Jihad uh, vision into all these panels. And we see it kind of over time throughout the years everybody's seen the same thing he was shown a fleeting glimpse of the whole there is still so much i do not understand he says perhaps the voice of the dragon will speak to me once more or perhaps the answers i seek may be found elsewhere either way i remain faithful to that vision and so this weaselly little nazi guy he's like i can help you you know i'm certain of that return with me to germany and rasputin's like germany the ancient enemy of my beloved russia why would i do such a thing and the Nazis guy, he says, because the future is ours. We're building this empire that will stand for a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> there is much that I can offer in return. And then so Rasputin pulls his hood back and he's like, I am listening. Ah, shit. That's a great panel by yeah. Bitten right there. It really gives Rasputin that ominous yeah. uh, with the Project yeah. Ragnarok behind him and all the candles. Really cool page layout here over these pages. I really enjoy that. So this is, we're seeing like the how he was recruited and all that. There you go. Yeah. Which is, it's, it makes sense that that's where they would start this off because that's something we've never, ever taken a look at. So that is interesting. Yeah. And we do know like the Nazis did look into all this occult stuff, you know, so it would make sense for them to like go look for him and find him. We cut over to Bletchley Park in Buckinghamshire, England. That is a very British word. Yeah. In 1941. And so Bletchley Park is an English country house and estate that became the principal center of the Allied code breaking during the World War II. Hell yeah. Sorry, Buckinghamshire sounds like a made-up word that you used to make fun of a British (laughs) name of a place. What what was really cool is, you know, um, I always like to look into these places and, and learn a little bit more about the real history behind them. And so when you type in, uh, if you're on Google, if you type in Bletchley Park into Google, it turns it into, Google turns it into all these symbols, and then the symbols like decode and make the word. Oh, that's dope. Isn't that neat? That's fucking cool. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, you know, if you're on your desktop computer or whatever, give it a Googs and check it out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but hell yeah, Codebreakers defeating Nazi codes. That's fucking awesome. Among its most notable early personnel, the team of Codebreakers included Alan Turing, Gordon Welchman, Hugh Alexander, and Stuart Milner Barry. The nature of the work there was secret until many years after the war. Super sad and fucked up what they did to Alan Turing, though. Yes, that is. Not cool. And so we here in the story, we're reading from the unpublished memoir of Trevor Broom. So these are like his notes. This is how they they kind of like frame the narrative in this, which so I think wait, is so kind Trevor of interesting. So Trevor Broom just happens to fucking be there. That's where he was working. I oh, like that man. they put him in there in the historical fiction. Wait, hold, hold on a second. I just Googled it and it did do that. Code nice, break. nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> mean, right? Did you do it on your phone? I did it on my iPad, yeah. Oh, cool. So I guess you can do it on the mobile device, too. Yeah, I thought that that was really interesting. I was like, what's going on? And then I was like, oh, that's That's so neat. neat. Anyway, 
Um, so I like this because this would be before the Hellboy incident, but it's after he's already seen like kind of some supernatural shit on his own and also with Harry Middleton. And we see Broom working with the Codebreakers. One of the other Codebreakers that he's working with, she's decoded something that she calls gibberish. She says, I think the Jerrys are transmitting nonsense just to distract us. Ghosts? Pull the other one, Adolf. And then Broom's like, ghosts again? And he, and he rubs his chin. I like that. He, he always does that. We see him do that a couple times. And we see on the document that he's got, it says, Operation Geist. So, um, but I was wondering when she called him Jerry's. And so I went to, this is from Quora.com. Brits, by and large, will always shorten any name or adjective with more than one syllable to even shorter name or word. And especially if that name can be mocked. And so Jerry was short for Germans. Okay. Jerry was a collective word for Germans in general terms and was incorporated into a description of items found in regular British life. We refer to jerry cans, the large expanded steel fuel cans used in desert war in Africa, or jerry built, which means something thrown up on the cheap. Huh. So that makes me think of like jerry, jerry rigged. Rig, yeah. Yeah, when you kind of just huh. like half ass, you know, put something together or wow. whatever. I yeah, never so knew that, that's where that came from. Yeah, that's where that comes from, apparently. So um, so it doesn't really shorten it because it's the same amount of syllables. I guess it's just a way to ridicule exactly. your enemies it's or whatever. It's a way to mock them. So, okay. I've always heard it in like, you know, World War II area movies. They always refer to the Germans as Jerry. So, huh. I don't know. It just seemed the same to me. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, was just, I just wondered where that came from. Broom explains in his memoir that every bit of intelligence was cataloged, even those thought to be inconsequential. And Broom remembered another reference to Operation Geist. And so, we see him going through the catalogs putting all the pieces together. He reports that the numbers are coordinates to a village in Hedfordshire, a county in southern England, and he thinks it might be a location of a bombing raid. And so he reports it to this one guy, or he's talking to somebody about it, and they say that they've been monitoring Hedfordshire, but no aircraft or bombs ever fell or were reported. Hmm, he rubs his chin again. <laughs> he was certain there was more to it. I like that. He's always so curious about these things. So after more research and more mentions of Operation Geist, Broom takes it to his superiors. What the devil are you playing at, man? Ghosts? I say, Broom, this does not inspire confidence in your analytical skills, one says. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I like all the phrasing and all that kind of stuff in here. Broom says ghost could mean something else, like mind or spirit, and he's convinced that the Germans have interest in that location. They tell him that they have more pressing concerns, and he can look into it when he's at his own liberty. Well, sir, with all due respect, Broom says, I am overdue for a few days' leave, so perhaps I will. So then we cut to head for sure, and of course, Broom has gone there. You know, I guess he's taken his leave, and now he's going to go check this out on his own. And we see him approach this church, and so I thought this was interesting. I actually looked for churches in this area, and this one looks like it's St. Margaret Ridge. Because um, I did find one that kind of looks exactly like this, and it has the graveyard next to it and all that. But a lot of them do look similar, so it could be a different one. And Broom encounters this groundskeeper. And this groundskeeper, he's been expecting a government official, right? He, re he said that he had reported something, but the guy who took the call acted like he was a lunatic. 
This groundkeeper's uh, mustache and uh, mutton chops are on point here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and I mean, Mitten just does an awesome job with all these details. I mean, if you just look at, like, the leaves and the trees and everything, you know, and along with Dave Stewart's colors, um, I just really enjoy all the historical accuracy to these places and the amount of effort that they put in into just, like, drawing some trees and stuff like that. <laughs> The groundskeeper, he recalls his flashback. He says, I was coming home from the pub pretty late, and it was dark as pitch with what the blackout, but I heard something from the churchyard as I passed by, clear as a bell, from over by the graves. Well, I figured it was some local youngsters out for a lark, didn't I? And I may have been in my cups. I like that little phrase in there. But I wasn't having any of that. And when I went looking, it weren't no local youngsters, I can tell you that much. I could hardly make them out in the darkness, but I could see it was three fellas, a little bloke and another in some kind of hood and a third down on his knees. The one on his knees was putting up an awful fuss and it sounded like he was speaking German. Don't know what he was on about, but something had him bothered. And then there was this light. So then there's this blinding light. We see the groundskeeper like cover his eyes. And all of a sudden... The fellow on his knees wasn't struggling anymore, and he wasn't speaking German either, but the king's English like a proper toff. Okay. Right, and so we see those two guys that are with him are Kurtz and Cronin, okay? You know, the little guy is Kurtz, and then we see Cronin in his, you know, in his mask and all that, and he's got some sort of device on his back, some sort of light bulbs or whatever, and so, you know, this is, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but it was a German guy, and then afterwards it was an English guy. You know, so they did something yeah. with this, with their experiment there. The groundskeeper says, the little fella and the one in the hood led him away, calm as a stroll in the countryside, talking about his eternal reward or something like that. And Broom again with his hand on his chin. Fascinating. And where did all this take place? Right this way. And so the groundskeeper leads him to this grave. This is the one. And it says, Albert Mayhew, 1850 to 1905. And it's got the Heliopic Brotherhood's oh, logo shit. on it. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, in in any other context, you would just think that that is, you know, the Eye of... The Hor- Eye of Horus. Eye yeah. of Horus, or the Eye of Ra, or whichever direction it's facing, that's one of those. Yeah, so, but as we know in this in these books, that's, right. that's definitely what that means. And you already talked about this, but I, I want to also join you in complimenting this art i think it's fantastic i really uh i really enjoy reading these issues because the art is so good it's very pleasant to look at i fucking love it yeah i mean you would think like oh this doesn't really have hellboy in it or it doesn't really have a lot of action in it so far but i i do find it very engaging i think christopher mitten his art is so detailed and he's got such an interesting style it does really pull you But also in some ways it's not necessarily detailed but it is it's got like it's I don't know how to describe it like sometimes it's just I know it's like we talk about this a lot how it seems effortless we know it's not effortless yeah. uh, because they obviously put effort into their work but it's it seems very natural it seems very like the the way he places the lines is very aesthetically pleasing yeah I really really like his style a lot I really and obviously I mean with Dave Stewart coloring you it's gonna be fantastic it's gonna complement it for sure but it's um yeah, his his line work is fantastic. It's very something about it is very I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's kind of flowy and he sort of leaves it sort of organic. It's Yeah. It's not rough. 
it's polished, but it's also very, it's just a very specific style. It's very, it's almost, it seems delicate, but it's also strong. It's kind of like, it's, it, it kind of reminds me of Guy Davis, but it's not anything like Guy no, Davis. No, not at all. Absolutely. Right? But it's kind of like that same right. thing, that same idea that you're talking about. Yeah, it's very, uh, oh. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we cut over to Essex. This is a county in east of English, northeast of London, and it actually borders Hertfordshire, so it's close by where Broome was. And we learn that Broom's interest in the occult is somewhat hereditary. He's got an Uncle Simon in Essex, and he's also got this extensive library. Like, it makes me think of what Broom's office will become. This is very, yeah. Right? This is kind of what this guy, right. uh, what his house looks like, right? So, you know, you, you think back on those 1940 stories where we see Broom's office with all the stuff on the walls and everything. And yeah. so I feel like that's where he took a piece of that from. His Uncle Simon has an extensive library and interest in these kinds of things. And Broom couldn't discuss the specifics of the case with his Uncle Simon, but he felt comfortable telling him a few generalities. Uncle Simon thinks it sounds more like a possession than a paranormal sighting. And Broom agrees and wonders, why this grave? Who was this man, Albert Mayhew, in life? And then Broom mentions the Eye of Horus and the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. No, drop this now. No good can come from this trifling with this mystery Uncle Simon chastises. Uncle Simon mentions his old friend, Sir Edward Gray. Oh, shit. Sir Edward Gray ran afoul of Albert Mayhew, and he was obsessed with bringing down the Heliopic Brotherhood, but it ended up being the cause of his own ruin. So recall, at this point in 1941, Edward Gray would have had disappeared 25 years earlier in Chicago chasing after these guys. Oh, shit, Sir Edward Gray. <laughs> Simon says, when I met Sir Edward, he was still working for the Crown, a cult investigator to the Queen herself. That was when he first crossed swords with the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. Their order had begun in France in the days of Louis XV, but found full flower in Victoria's London, using science and mysticism to plumb the mysteries of the universe. And I love this panel here depicting yeah, the Heliopic cool. Brotherhood. It looks really cool. Yeah. They're they're in all their masks and they're surrounded by this fire. It's like all this, you know, that's all that secret society it's stuff. It's a fucking badass panel. It looks super cool. Yeah. And I hate to undercut the coolness of it with this, but as we all know, I am definitely going to. So <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if anyone uh watches the Venture Brothers or Used to watch, I don't even know if they're still making that, but I, uh, you know, I used to watch the Venture Brothers. So the Venture Brothers, there's this bit where there's a bunch of guys, you know, the bunch of goons like wearing these masks. It's a very like, oh, oh you know, okay. like they're, they're henchmen or whatever wearing these masks. And there, there's like a whole bit about like what happens when you sneeze inside of one of them and whatever and <laughs> all that shit. And so I, I that's what that's I all you think about when you see I, this. That's all I can think about is what happens if you sneeze inside of that mask. I, I actually sneezed inside my mask uh, earlier this week. Good that- job sneezing inside the mask and not pulling your mask down, sneezing, and then putting it back on <laughs> like I have seen a person do, oh, which made God. me want to hulk out. Uh, I, I would want to hawk out too, but I will say that it was uh, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> sure, right. But no, like I said, I appreciate you actually using the mask for what it is for, which is keeping your sneezes to yourself. Oh, I'm not taking that motherfucker off when I'm out in public. Good job, good job. Simon says, there were bad apples in that bunch, as in any other, and some of them were responsible for deaths of those close to Sir Edward. And we see Sir Edward here pointing at somebody the blood is on your hands, he says. Can I just say, can I just say, the bad apples thing, that phrase doesn't stop as at, there are bad apples in the bunch, 
the end. It's bad apples spoil the bunch. Yeah. It spoils the whole bunch. Just want to put that out there in case you're thinking of using that phrase incorrectly. It spoils spoils the bunch. Thank you. I hear I think the exact same thing when I hear that damn phrase. <laughs> oh, he's just a bad apple. That spoils the entire motherfucking bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this guy that I tried to look for a reference to this because I was like, I think I've seen this panel before and I couldn't find it. But this guy that Edward Gray is pointing to, he kind of looks like Swain, who you cast as Liam Neeson back in the Witchfinder nice, series. Nice. Yeah, I was like, that looks like Swain um, from when we read Witchfinder. 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 <laughs> Sir Edward felt it was his sworn duty to bring the Brotherhood to justice. And in the end, he was instrumental in driving them from the public bring view. Bring Liam Neeson to justice. Simon says Sir Edward spent the remaining years of his life in an obsessive pursuit of the Heliopic Brotherhood from one corner of the globe to the next, and it consumed him. But I've gotten to know uh, quite a few former members of the Heliopic Brotherhood in the years since and look upon some of them as friends. There were bad apples, as I say, but not enough to spoil the whole bunch. That's what ah. Simon says. I don't know. And Albert Mayhew, Brumass, the most rotten of them all. He was the secret grandmaster and died with blood of innocence on his hands. Simon says he regretted not stopping Ed Gray from pursuing them. For my sake, nephew, please leave this matter alone. I will, Uncle Broom responds. Arrested development voice. But he really didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely that's definitely an arrested development narrator yeah. voice moment for sure. To, I gotta say, every time you say Simon says, I feel like all of a sudden I need to do something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My brain is so fucking broken by pop culture at this point that every time he says that, all I can think about is fucking Demolition Man. Oh, okay, yeah. When he's fucking doing his whole bit about Simon Says. Oh. The only fucking reason they named that character Simon is so he could say all this Simon Says shit. It's incredible. I love that movie so much. Simon Says Die. Don't forget it was also used in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, Was okay. it really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't remember anything about that movie. I'm sure I've watched it at least once, but I don't remember anything about it at all. Oh, the first one's great, but I... I yeah. Or the third one even though i the first one's better i didn't say simon says the next day simon gets a call for trevor and it's his buddy harry middleton we got to meet harry the alive version in the 1950s stories and at this time he's a soldier and he says he's got a day of leave so they decide to meet at a pub in harpeton near where harry is stationed and so harpeton is a town in the city and district of saint albans on the way to meet Harry, Broom stops at the cemetery where he met the groundskeeper earlier to check out that grave again. What's really fucked up about this page is that it's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. The art is incredible. I love his style of his line work. The colors are gorgeous. But, you know, if you're able to completely ignore the actual content of the right. page, it's beautiful. <laughs> There's a grotesque corpse that right. is right. Like, it's, it's so, the fucking most prominent thing <laughs> on the page. Yeah, so Broom, he finds that the grave has been dug up of Albert Mayhew. And then we see, but Broom doesn't, that the groundskeeper has been killed. And his head is nearly all turned around. Yeah, it's fucked up. I like that guy, so. Yeah, he was good. I liked him. There's when a mystery he said he foot. Was, he was in his cups. He was in, <laughs> well, he was in his cups, but he wasn't having any of that. Yeah. <laughs> he may have been in his cups, but he wasn't having any of that. From Broom's memoir, he says, It's been nine months since the Blitz. 
And so here he's referring to the German bombing campaign against the United Kingdom in 1940 and 1941 during World War II. The term was first used by the British press, and it's the German word for lightning. Since then, the locals had been prepared for the worst, and though whiskey and other spirits were increasingly in short supply, there was still beer enough left to slake the country's thirst. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And we cut to Harry and Broom. They're at the pub, and Harry has been with the British Army since the Battle of Dunkirk and was shipping out next week. And so the Battle of Dunkirk, it's pretty famous now because now there's a movie about it. It was fought in Dunkirk, France during World War II as the Allies were losing the Battle of France on the Western Front. The Battle of Dunkirk was the defense and evacuation to Britain of British and other Allied forces in Europe from May to June 1940. Well, here's to your safe return, Broom Cheers. I'll drink to that, Harry says, downing his beer. And I love these two panels. These are two of my favorite panels. I love how Harry's holding up his finger as he's drinking. Yeah. Just the little mannerisms yes. and stuff like that. You really get the sense that these guys are friends. Absolutely. And they're just enjoying a drink. I just really like that. I like that you mentioned that. Is that all these mannerisms and everything, like nothing is stiff or stilted. It's all very organic and yeah. very, you know, cinem- cinematic and, and everything like that. One thing that is kind of bothering me it's either like a cultural thing or like a time thing or like a geographical thing. I don't really know. The The glasses they're drinking out of oh, okay. have handles. And it's kind of weirding me out because generally pint glasses do not hmm. have handles. It's usually just like you're holding the glass right. itself. I wonder, so if I wonder time, what that is. Because like it's not a stein or it's not a typical like mug. Those are like bigger and differently shaped. Right. Usually. So it's kind of like a clear coffee mug of beer yeah like a glass it's like a glass design. mug of beer that you would i don't know it's just very like a weird like if they were going for the glass stein look wouldn't it be like a lot heavier yeah and we see when they show the bar you kind of see some of those yeah kind of stein shapes and but those, the ones and that they, they're they, drinking out yeah, of, yeah and like the steins they usually have like those a different kind of surface like there's you cylindrical know, kind of shape well it's not even not cylindrical but it's it's like uh it's got um it's almost paneled. It's got like octagonal almost or whatever. It's and it's like a big kind of a weird shape. It's like bulky. These are kind of like clear teacups full of beer. It's hmm. like a weird. So anyway, I kind of maybe that's all they had during the war. Sure, yeah. no, but I was just wondering if that's like a thing. Like I'm wondering if there's anyone like I actually live in this part of Britain and we are, yeah. these are very common in my pub. Okay, like, oh, okay. like nice. so if there's anyone who's like their pub has only these cups, I would love to know about it. Yeah, but I do like the way Mitten illustrates the friendship of these two guys. And since we've read the 1950 stories already, we know that Harry and Trevor have been friends and they've checked out occult and paranormal stuff before. Harry mentions the night that they lost poor Bill. And so we we know all about that from the short story, The Kelpie. As they talk, there's a smash... And they turn around, and they find this undead corpse walking through the pub, and it wears an eye of Horace medallion around its neck. Blimey, someone yells. (laughs) (laughs) I love, in this panel, there's so much action going on. It flows so well, like there's, the like you said, like before, like the gestures and the clothes, like like the way that they're moving, it seems there's a lot of motion going on, and... Uh, this artist throws away a lot of lines. Oh, okay. He throws it away. Like, you know how you can throw away the delivery of a line? He's throwing away, like, actual, like, drawn lines. Like, he's kind of so confident in his style. It's not necessarily loose, but it's very, like... Oh, I see what you mean. He's kind of throwing it away. He's kind of, like, 
It's very natural yeah, seeming. And so like there are a lot of lines he could have put in there that he didn't put in there. And it's better for it. It's not too heavy or overly drawn. He doesn't overdraw it. It's interesting. Please, can you help me? The corpse says in German. And I like this panel where Broom's like, Harry, it's, a, it's not an apparition. It's physical. A little too physical for my taste, Harry says. And so everyone in the bar is freaking out. But Broom, he tries to communicate with the thing. I want to help, but I don't really speak German, he says. Can you speak English? He says in German. Something like that. Arg! the corpse responds. I like that. He's like, I guess you don't speak English or you're very averse to people who do speak English. Blam, blam, his head gets blasted off. It was Harry. Bloody hell, he says. Love that he just went straight for the head. Yeah. Love that. I can't, can't fucking stand. I don't know how many times it's like, they're shooting a zombie and they're going for the chest. And it's like, why isn't it working? Oh no, I'm being attacked. Just shoot him straight in the head. Well, it makes me think also that they were just talking about their friend Bill that got killed. Yeah. So Harry's like, I'm not fucking around. I'm not around. fucking around I'm with not going to lose yeah. my friend Broom. No, absolutely. You know what I mean? And so it's, I, uh, I just love that we weren't put through that. You don't have to put us through that every time. We get it. I really also like the way that this, this um, undead corpse's head explodes. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like I what mean, you were I, talking about, throwing some of the lines away. Yeah, or, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I know you don't like gruesome things, but I mean, it's just, it's so lovingly rendered very well. <laughs> it like it lingers there for a moment too with the smoke coming out of it. Yeah. I like uh, Harry's reaction to it. His face is very, you know... He's not calm about it. He's yeah. very fucking freaked out. That's that's the kind of face you would make, Yeah, I think, in that situation. It's extreme, and it should be. It appeared that our days of chasing after spooks and investigating hauntings were far from over after all. He's doing that rights. thing again that you... Yeah, he's his, rubbing his chin rubbing there, his yeah. Chin, yeah. They're looking at the Eye of Horus. Yeah. Chapter two, and so we get another great cover from Mike Huddleston. Look at the table linen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just look at that oh, for a second man. on the cover, because that is an incredible feat right there. And just the little details on something like that, really amazing. <laughs> for some reason, I could not stop looking at that. No, it's amazing. I mean, zooming in, it's like it's so detailed on it. And yeah. It's well. like, I, I wonder if you did some photo manipulation. See, that's what I was about to say is like, I probably would have cheated and just kind of made... Uh, like a pattern that looked like it was part of the painting or something like that. Like there's probably some sort of way that he was able to manipulate it in there or he painted it, which is incredibly impressive. I wouldn't have been able to paint it. I would have had to manipulate some kind of a thing well, in there. Going so. along with that, like look at the wallpaper and stuff like that. I mean, look at that. That is just incredible amount of detail. And is it really cheating if you use photo manipulation? Well, not cheating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't mean it like that uh, because oh. it's something that I do quite often. So it's I, I don't obviously think that that's true. That's I shouldn't have said that. I guess it's well, just a technique. It, it's, a, it's a different kind of technique you can use. And it still takes skill to be able to do oh, that, yeah. by the way. That it takes does. a lot of skill to make it look like it's a seamless part of this painting. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that that doesn't take skill. It really does. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Because I mean, even even if you are manipulating a photo, you, he's manipulating it in a way that it looks like it's draped over this table. Yeah, exactly. And I it mean, might not it, even be the, a photo. Like the wallpaper and the tablecloth might not even be a photo. It might be that like he took a texture and was able to, you know, integrate it into the painting itself, which is cool. So that's, I mean, that takes skill. That takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of know-how. And so that's not, yeah, it's just a, it's a technique, just like any other, obviously. 
The frames. I'm sorry. I have to. <laughs> we're gonna frame shop. So it's. That's what you got. That's I'm. What, I'm loving these frames. <laughs> I. They're fantastic. These are great. We open in Berlin, Germany, at the SS headquarters. So Rasputin's made it to Germany after all. And I like how it kind of when we when we open the page, it looks like he's at a computer monitor, but when we zoom in, he's like really put papers all it up scrolls. all over the computers. Yeah, yeah. It's, all these... <laughs> it's fantastic. Where will the secrets be found? He says to himself in German. Just then, he's interrupted by. A young blonde SS soldier. She apologizes for interrupting him. She just wanted to give him updates on Operation Geist. Yeah, so who's this lady, right? Ilsa. Yeah, so, you know, is this like a meat cute or what? Oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) No. She says, I know that you value your solitude and I'm loath to intrude, but you asked to be updated on the progress of Operation Geist. So now we're coming back to that. That is a thing, right? Broom wasn't just uh, being paranoid by researching this thing, you know. He really is onto this. We have just received word from Kurtz and Cronin that their mission to England was a success, Ilsa says, and that they are now proceeding to France. Something I don't understand, uh... This just makes me think of the code breaker that found this phrase. Um, is she not familiar with the fact that operations have code names? Right. Like, yeah. Well, that's I what mean, Broom was trying to say. He was like, guys could mean anything. It doesn't have to be yeah, ghost. I don't yeah. understand why she's <laughs> taking everything literally. That's kind of like, I really need someone to sit her down and explain to her like, okay, just because it's a word <laughs> that seemingly doesn't have to do with anything, that's that's... That's what codes are. She's a code breaker. Like, I don't understand how she wouldn't know that well, operations have, like, names. I don't not, know. Not, not just her. Also, the Broom's bosses. That he right. Took right. That's so odd. Like, it's very... I mean, think of any kind of... It's almost a cliche now. Right. You're like, ah, operation... Whatever the fuck. Oh, it's, yeah, you yeah. know, it's a... <laughs> Ah, excellent, Rasputin says. Make preparations for our immediate departure. We will rendezvous with Kurtz and Cronin as planned. Then proceed with the next phase. Master, do you do you really think it is there, the answer you seek, Ilsa asks? The Frenchman was granted a vision of the dragon, Rasputin says. I am sure of it. Given a glimpse of the secret of heaven's fire. So that's like the vril, right? Is that what he's talking about? Sure, I'll buy that. I would know what it was that he saw, Rasputin says. And then so we see that he's drawn this eye around Paris. Interesting. You might say he's got his eye on Uh, Paris. Oh, Aubrey. Fucked up a perfectly good map is what he did. (laughs) So now we're back in Essex, England with Uncle Simon. And they're having a seance. With none other than Lady Cynthia Eden Jones. Oh dang! So this is must, this must be oh. the first time that Brooms met her. You know, a couple years later, they're going to be finding Hellboy together. Got you a know? lot of cameos in this one. We've got yeah. Sir Edward Grey. We've got Rasputin and Elsa. Well, no, this one here. Lady Cynthia. Lady Cynthia. Yeah. We got Lady Cynthia. We got. She's supposedly England's leading psychic, but she sounds like a parlor room fake to broom. Uh. Also in attendance are Dennis Peters and Reginald Sheldrake, who, like Uncle Simon, are taking all of this very seriously. Broom reveals that after Harry shot the corpse at the end of the last issue, the local police covered it up as a grave robbing. Broom went back to work at Bletchley Park, and he couldn't distract himself from thinking about that, and then he was urgently summoned back by his uncle. His uncle said that he had vital intelligence to share, but this was not what he expected. 
And so I like this um, Lady Cynthia, like she summons like this ectoplasmic ball or something like that is floating in the air. And then it turns into this tortured guy. It morphs into this man and he's all in pain. Please help me. So cold, he says. Broom asks who he was in life and what he has to do with Albert Mayhew. I didn't understand, the ghost says, what the master sought. It was in Paris. So why have his journey to England first? What have they done to me, the apparition says. The half-man and the one with no face. Right, so that's Kurtz and Cronin, right? Kurtz is the half-man because he's a little guy, and then Cronin is the one with no face. That's how this guy is saying that. And so we know that they were with a guy that was struggling in the graveyard, right? So we're kind of starting to put this together. Broom asks what it is that they seek in Paris, but the ghost just screams out and disappears. How can the dead suffer so, Lady Cynthia asks. Broom brushed up on his uh, speaking German in between uh, the corpse and this time. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I mean, Broom's a smart guy, and he, he kind of, he said he knew some, but I mean, he definitely brushed up a he's little been, bit. He's uh, been, yeah, he's been studying. He's been hitting the bricks. He's been hitting that uh, Rosetta Stone. <laughs> doing that dual lingo yeah <laughs> and so we see them all talking about it afterwards and are we certain that was the spirit that walked in the decayed flesh of albert mayhew broom ass his was the departed soul that answered my summons lady cynthia says but i sense that he has now traveled beyond the veil beyond the reach of any further questioning so we see those two guys peters and sheldrake they're all talking to themselves and they're like you don't suppose the Germans seek the tomb, do you? They can't possibly hope to, could they? These friends of yours, Uncle Simon, what's their connection to this business, Broom asks? Well, as I thought, he might be conjuring the soul of Mayhew himself. I supposed it best that we include in our circle those who knew him in life. Peters and Sheldrake were both associates of his. So they were in the Heliopic Brotherhood. So remember, Simon mentioned that some of them, some of the Brotherhood were his friends. They weren't all bad apples, right? So these two guys, I guess that they were two of the good guys. And they say that Mayhew was the secret grandmaster and he was detestable. But he remained loyal to the Brotherhood until the bitter end. You think that the Germans are after some tomb in Paris, I take it. Whose tomb, Broom asks? Eugene Remy, the founder of the Heliopic Brotherhood. And so we met Remy. He actually appeared in the Witchfinder series in the service of angels. One of these guys says when Remy died in 1745, he was buried in a secret tomb beneath the streets of Paris. Certain items of, of significance were interred with him and secret rituals were performed. But the location of the tomb and the details of the funeral rites were closely guarded, passed down only to secret grandmasters. So as far as we know... Albert Mayhew died before passing on that information to his successor. It's believed that Mayhew was the last person who knew of who knew the secrets of Remy's tomb, Broom says. The German soldier's spirit was housed in Mayhew's corpse. Why might Mayhew's spirit have been transferred to his body in turn? And so Broom's starting to put it together, right? So when Kurtz and Cronin were in the graveyard, they took that one guy and they transferred him with Mayhew. So now they have Mayhew, and the guy that they transferred to was this tortured ghost that we just saw. And Cynthia says that she didn't think that kind of thing was possible. I had hoped that a seance might illuminate this, Simon says, but each answer we uncover only raises more questions. This is a dark business, though, to be sure, and I think that no good can come of pursuing it much further. I'm sorry, nephew. Best to leave this 
an unanswered mystery and move on now, I think. But of course, Broom's not going to do that. And I think this is funny because Uncle Simon earlier was like, leave this alone. And then he's like, no, come back. I have some more stuff to show you. And then he's like, no, no, no. Now on second thought, now that we found out more stuff, leave it alone again. Yeah, Broom's that's... Like, Broom's obviously not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, no. It's not going to... Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Broom didn't argue, but he had no intention of moving on. He wonders how the Nazis had the power to do that spiritual transfer. And who is this master? He should have been rubbing his chin again right yeah. there. So on his way back to Bletchley, he stops by Mayhew's estate, and it's all creepy times. A lot of these manors had been requisitioned by the Crown, but this one was abandoned because of unexplainable accidents and a rash of deaths that befell the officers who attempted to survey the property. So Broom looks around, and a nice creepy mood setting by Christopher Mitten here. There's like an owl in there and stuff. And oh, it's super good. Yeah, everything's yeah, all like draped a pair, over. There's like a pair of owls. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, Cute. I love this panel. You know, there's very little dialogue. It's just like Broom checking this thing He's out. He's walking through the... It is, a, it is great uh, mood setting. Like, you're right. It's very, you know, it's, I like that it takes a little pause. You can almost hear his footsteps and feel how cold yeah. it is and kind of like it kind of yeah. harkens back to those mood panels that Mignola puts in those creepy moments yeah. you know where it kind of slows things down and you just kind of it's nice. look over the page and see all this awesome art seem like walking up these steps and all that sort of thing that 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 panel in particular is very like oh, where's he going to? I also like how the uh the plant light is starting to take over the um the mansion yeah and that's what you'd see oh uh, yeah because it's not like just some dusty old manor. Right. I mean, it's it's literally rotting and falling apart, and and nature is reclaiming yeah. it. Yeah, animals and plants are starting to kind of be like, well, we're here now. And so Broom, as he looks around, he finds a portrait of Mayhew, and he's all in his heliopic brotherhood garb, and then he finds a Hollandis edition of the Flama Recondidus. Damn. Okay, so where have we seen this book before? Oh shit! Fucking Kate found that yeah that's the one kate was trying to get from the marquee yeah, she's trying to get it yeah so this is like a special book you know Super a special, special edition of it and um they've always been after this book and whenever they get close to getting <laughs> one something fucked uh. up happens so i kind of like that little callback there good job danielle that was great yeah mayhew's occult library puts uncle simon's to shame broom says so Broom starts investigating mayhew's papers but he can't shake the feeling that something is behind something's them. slurching yeah. Around. Get a hold of yourself, Trevor, he okay. says to himself. <laughs> I just gotta say, like, as I'm reading this, when something is slurching and he's got that exclamation point, I'm like, Ugh. I think that as soon as he turns around, like, I think the next panel is gonna be the thing and it's nothing. Yeah. That's incredibly <laughs> creepy and I love it. It's very, yeah. very, very good mood building. It's fantastic because that is like, Ugh. Yeah. Jumping at shadows like a schoolboy, Broom says to himself. Now, this looks interesting. Probably just a pair of owls slurching around. Yeah, he starts reading through Mayhew's papers, and suddenly, all the papers start flying away. I know someone's there, Broom says. Show yourself. And then, like, this tentacle thing comes out, and it kind of bats Broom. And he's like, what was? Yeah, there's the reveal. (laughs) Here's where we see the slurching monster, right? So what is this? Is this like an Ogdruhem? Or is this like, is this just like a... No, it looks just kind of like a... If there's something below an Ogdruhem, like a, you know, like those little, 
like minions that kind of follow those guys around. Okay, yeah. The Maybe. ones that would fall off it and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It it doesn't really quite strike me as an a full on him, but it is like a little it's when it's one of those types of guys, so I yeah. guess it's kind of like one of those little minor ones. I love the design on well, this thing. Well, so maybe it hasn't achieved full Andrewham status yet because Hellboy's not on the earth. Yet. Right, maybe, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Good job, Aubrey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. but I do love the design of this thing. Um, and the colors by Dave Stewart. And just like all the little details, all the tendrils of the tentacles as it's like grabbing Broom and pulling him towards the mouth. I like mouth. Broom's face when he sees it. The reaction faces are so good. What the devil? Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's the second time he said that, too. <laughs> and so, as it picks Broom up into the air, Broom drops his lantern. Yeah, so he was holding this lantern, and of course the lantern smashes on the ground, and it, all the papers that were flying around, so it starts this big fire. Let go, Broom says, and I guess in the chaos of all this and the fire, Broom gets swung away by the monster, and he smashes through the window. It's almost like the monster threw him out the window. <laughs> right, it does seem like that. And so he hangs onto this tree, and then he falls down through all the branches. Sorry, like, how could you not be hanging onto that book the entire time? I know, right? That seems so <laughs> ridiculous that he'd be like, whoa, it's this fucking super rare book I've been looking for my whole life. Anyway, what's this shit over here? Right, like, just put it under your arm. your arm. What are you doing? Yeah. Are you kidding Maybe. me? Maybe he was thinking, I'll just, I'll save that for last. No. No. This isn't cheesecake. This <laughs> yeah. Isn't <laughs> Honestly, just grab that and leave. This like, isn't cheesecake. What are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, so, Broom turns around, and the house is all on fire now. Extraordinary, Broom says. Mayhew must have cast some kind of spell on the house. A supernatural deterrent. Protecting his spirits from beyond the grave. What a waste as he sees it all going up in flames. So like the monsters burning up inside, but all Broom can think about is the books and all the research that got yeah. destroyed. <laughs> and it looks like he's adjusting his collar. I mean, his cuffs and all that. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's seen some shit at this point too, right? So right. I guess he's not totally uh, put off by this, but like, yeah, the, the the work here of the monster getting burned and all that kind of stuff, so cool. I mean, the work by Christopher Mitten on this book has been incredible so far. In the aftermath of the house burning, this car pulls up. Who could that be, Broom says. And these two people get out. Looks like we're right on time, one says. So it would seem. Trevor Broom, I presume? And he's like, yes, but who are you? And then they say, you're fooling yourself if you thought you saw anything other than the planet Venus. Oh. <laughs> it's the British man nah, in black. just kidding. It's two dorks instead. And I wouldn't flaunt your ignorance by telling anyone that you saw anything last night other than the planet Venus. Because if you do, you're a dead man. And so <laughs> we see this man and this woman, and they're in their... You know, British garb, I guess. The man says, my name is Michaels. This is my associate, Miss Haddington. Special agent Miss Haddington. We had the devil's own time tracking you down, I must say, she says. Though it appears as though you've had a devil of a time yourself, yes? The guy, Michaels, says, we saw your fall as we drove up. You handled yourself nicely. Tracking me down, whatever for, Broom ass. 
Michaels and I are with the special operations executive, she says. Recently intercepted German transmissions would seem to confirm your suspicions about their activities in Harbenton. The three men described in your report have been spotted by our agents in Paris, Michaels says. Had it not been for your insights, military intelligence would likely have completely overlooked the evidence. Our people are out of their depths with this whole supernatural mumble-jumble, Lady Haddington says. So you tracked me down to thank me, Brumass? No, Haddington says, to recruit you. Michael says, our people aren't up to scratch with this sort of thing, which is why we'd like to send you into the field to assist. You want to send me into Nazi-held territory, Brumass? <laughs> And from his notes, he writes, Bad luck, friend. As I'd awoken that morning, I had no inkling that by the day's end, I would become a spy. And the three of them look on as Mayhew's estate burns down. The end. Oh, man. Yeah, well, pretty cool. More like, more like to be continued. Right, there you go, yeah. Yeah, there's more continued. issues of it. Yeah, so um, I really enjoyed this. And, and, and I like, it's kind of like... Um, it's Rasputin, Voice of the Dragon, but it's really Professor Broom's origin story, yeah. kind of. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen a lot of his origins uh, sprinkled in and out of the stories, but here we're kind of really getting to see him come from, like, a codebreaker who was interested in the occult to now he's being recruited to, like, actually be involved. We know that in a couple years he's going to actually, like, find Hellboy yeah. and all this stuff, and then he's going to be wrapped up in it. You know, he's going to find Vivara in the 1940s yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, you know... The I more really... adventures he has, the more attention he's drawing to himself. Yeah. And so yeah. W there, very w there was very little Rasputin in these first two issues. You know, it's more about Broom. Um, and so I kind of liked that when, when I when I first got this book, I was like, how much is there to tell about Rasputin right. really? You know what I mean? We kind of know everything we need to know about him, but I was really pleased to see that it was more about Broom and I just love the way that Robertson and Mignola write him. I like all the little mannerisms. I like him rubbing his chin. <laughs> I love seeing Harry Middleton in there too. So I we really enjoyed of, that. We yeah. got a lot of appearance. Uh, we got a lot of appearances from a lot of other characters that we're familiar with, which was great. So yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, no. When you said we were reading Rasputin, I agree, John. I was just like, how much do we need to know about Rasputin? We already seem to we know as much as we need to. Well, I thought maybe but, we we're gonna get a lot of like fucked up lore and whatever, but this is good too. But um, but yeah, no. I mean, I like. I feel like we're we're seeing um the steps that it took to take Broom from where he was. I guess. From his college days to his code break. Now I didn't even know about the code breaker days. <laughs> it's like we're we're seeing how he ended up on that island uh, the night that Hellboy came out. Just because he's super nosy. Yeah, that's it. Well, and he wouldn't give up. Yeah. You know, no matter what, he was like, "Oh, well, they're not going to investigate this. I'm going to take some leave and I'm going to go check it out on my I'm own." Keep you being know? super nosy anyway. I'm yeah. Like, and we'll get some more of Rasputin, too. But I do like how we're also kind of seeing the formation of Project Ragnarok, you know? Right. Um, when we meet them, it's already, you know, they're already a tight group. Ilsa, Rasputin, Kurtz, and Cronin. And so here we kind of see how they're all coming together on yeah. the bad side, too. And we've, yeah, the, so it's yeah. kind of like the flip side of that is, and we need you to be on this special team over here. And so it's very, yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so that was a great episode. I'm glad we were able to make it through that because we had some technical difficulties that you don't even know about because all that happened behind the scenes. Oh, man, did it ever. <laughs> but I'm really excited to get to next week's episode. 
and make sure to check out our fundraiser for Rain. You know, like I said earlier, there's a lot of great prizes, and I can't believe that Lawrence Campbell has come on board for that out-of-print book, so you really got to get on that. And like I also mentioned last week, check me out on Book Club Member Comics. I had a couple, you know, book club members were following me this week, and so we're all sharing our comic book goodness, and I'm going to be selling some comics too. I mentioned that last week, and I didn't sell any. I didn't put any up, but I'm, I'm going to put some up soon. So yeah, if you buy comics online or you're interested in any of that, you can check me out there. All right, and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. That was a fun episode. Uh, share us your thoughts on Rasputin, the voice of the dragon, issues one and two. You can send us at hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Goddard for the music. We love it, Paul. Thank you. Also, a special thank you to Mark Tweedell for helping with the reading order and booting Nazis off that Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> and J.C. Washburn, yeah. punching Nazis off the group. And whoever else is responsible for and that behind the who... scenes. Yeah, we don't really know everybody who's involved yeah. in there, but yeah. But, you know, all of all of you guys, you know, we love you. Thank you, John, for doing your editing magic. You're a wizard with the editing. Thank you. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are continuing to read Rasputin, The Voice of the Dragons, issues three through five. So you know what to do. Keep your trade out because you should already have it out. Uh, and your back issues, too. Don't put that stuff away. You know, read on and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, What the devil? <laughs> <laughs>